welcome. So we just want to pray for Jackie as she brings the word. Lord God, I just pray for Jackie right now. Lord God, I know that you have given her a word in season, a word straight from your heart for us this morning. And I pray you will anoint her that as she opens her lips and opens her mouth, that words will come directly from you to us this morning. Give us ears to hear and hearts to be receptive to your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Jackie. Thank you. Thank you, worship team. (laughs) Am I on? I'm on. You can hear me. You can hear me. Well, it's great to be here. And I have really appreciated being invited to spend the morning with my Plymouth family here at Restore Church. Uh, not being for a little while. I uh, don't think the weather was like this last time I came in January. I'd be pretty surprised if it was. But isn't it great? Don't you love this? Don't you love summer? So, it's great looking around, seeing all the new decor and the new coffee, it is brilliant. But what I do love seeing is all your faces that I haven't seen for a little while and that I have missed. And if you don't know who I am, um, you've not met me before, I'm Jackie Williams, I'm from Torquay and part of this family as well as my home church there in Torquay. So, I knew I was in the right place this morning because we started off worship by singing the Plymouth Restore Church signature tune. I am free. Do you know what? I have never heard that in any other church. And it feels like whenever I come, because I know it's Alex's favorite, we sing it, but I love it because it makes me feel where I am and that I belong in the right place. But you did know, didn't you, that even though we live in a, a free country, we're not necessarily living free lives. But I am. Are you? Good. Because when you're a child of God, he gives us that freedom to live free lives. So we're going to be looking at kingdom living again today. I understand you've been looking at it for the past few weeks. And I've been given a little passage, Matthew 6, 25 to 34. And I love these three chapters of the Bible in Matthew 5 to 7. It's all about the Sermon on the Mount. You know that, don't you? It's actually Jesus' manifesto for kingdom living. The truths for living life to the full that he came to purchase us for. And you know what? Contrary to political parties, Jesus actually delivered his manifesto. He didn't just speak the speak, but he walked the walk. And he has given these truths to us so that we too can walk that walk in kingdom living, even though we're still living here on earth. So let's have a look at Matthew 6, 25 to 34. And the little phrase that I've been given is found in verse 33. Seek first God's kingdom. Anyone heard that before? Show of hands. So when I got this through, I thought, oh, my life, how am I going to preach on that? Something that no one else has preached on before, because I've heard so many people share on this, because it's a real truth, foundational to our faith, so well known. And I got a little bit blasé about it when I went and read it, but I had a shock. When I got to that passage in my Bible, I was shocked at the heading over this passage. I expected it to say, 
prioritize God. Anyone else would think that? But instead, it says this, stop worrying. Did you get that? Stop worrying. And I had completely forgotten the context of Jesus' teaching, his instruction to us when he urges us to seek God first. And in this passage, Jesus is actually dealing with anxiety, basic everyday worries. He addresses them. He also addresses why it's not necessary to be anxious. And also, which is great, he teaches us how to overcome anxiety. Have you ever heard that expression, suffer with anxiety? Heard anyone say to you, I'm suffering with anxiety? Yeah. And you know what? Suffer is the right word. It's not something that just happens in your mind, but it is actually an incredibly painful experience when you are living with and in anxiety. And over our nation, and I would probably say the nations of our world, there has been an explosion of anxiety in the last decade. Why do I say that? Well, I base it on my personal experience and also on the research that has been done. And I, before I took early retirement three years ago, I used to work in the NHS, supporting families in their own homes with their children. That was pre-pandemic, if you can remember back that far. And I was horrified to hear how many women and men confessed to suffering with anxiety. And I saw that it crosses all social barriers. Whether you're living in deprivation or in affluence, anxiety can be your portion. I was heartbroken because it covers all ages. And the number of children I came across suffering with anxiety, even preschool children, littlies, suffering with anxiety. Maybe they can't tell us they are, but it comes out in their behavior. They withdraw, they're aggressive, even self-harming at such a young age. More recently, currently doing our missional projects in Torquay, where we support vulnerable people, I would say that the majority, if not all of the people that we serve and help have anxiety in their lives to some degree. So basically, what we're in right now, guys, is an anxiety epidemic. It's everywhere. This does go back before COVID, but it's certainly gathered pace since we've had the pandemic. And you know, the response to anxiety is this. It can be overwhelming and can paralyze you. You can get stuck in it, can't see a way out, and become absolutely debilitated. I don't know if there's a picture on the screen, but actually the research also shows this. Shocking statistics. This is taken here and now in 2023, that 60% of individuals are experiencing right now at least mild symptoms of anxiety. That is shocking. Six out of 10 people. And for stress, individuals experiencing moderate to high levels of stress, 
76%, three out of four people. It's appalling statistics. That's the reality of our world and the reality of this epidemic that is going on around us and within us. So what is it? What is anxiety? I'm sure you know, but it's a type of fear that is usually associated with the thought of a threat or something going wrong in the future. It's anticipating something really negatively. But do you know what? Everyone feels anxious at times. It's a natural human response when we perceive that we're under threat. Our bodies are designed to react um, in that way. Have you heard of the fight, flight, and freeze response? That's our body's reaction to anxiety. It's automatic. We can't control it. And it's also quite normal to experience anxiety whilst we're coping with stressful events or changes because our body becomes on the alert. And when that event is over, the anxiety disappears and we can breathe again. And anybody remember when they were in school? I know that's a big challenge for some of us, and me. When we did exams, do you remember those? Some of the young people doing exams right now, but that thought of an exam, you become hyper alert, and your tummy starts going, and your mouth goes dry, you maybe don't sleep very well, because you're anticipating this thing that's happening to you, maybe tomorrow, an exam. And after it's done, oh, it's over. Thank goodness for that. But for some people, anxiety is constant. It's what we call chronic anxiety. It's also severe and crippling just as much as a physical disease can be. And it can affect every aspect of our daily lives. And I just want to say this right here and right now. If you or you know someone who is suffering with anxiety to that degree, you need to speak to someone in the medical profession and get some professional help. There is help there. But you know what? Living with unnecessary anxiety and worry is not God's plan for us. Did you know that? He doesn't want us to suffer in this way. There is no place for anxiety or worry in kingdom living. So we're going to look at this Sermon on the Mount, this mandate of Jesus, his manifesto, where he addresses anxiety, but also gives us the antidote to it. Aren't you grateful about that? So Matthew 6, right at the very beginning of this little bit of Jesus's manifesto, Jesus says these words, I tell you, stop being worried or anxious about your life. He makes it really clear. And then right at the very end, after he's filled us in a lot about anxiety, this conclusion is this. So do not worry about tomorrow. And in verse 27, Jesus talks about the futility of worrying. He says, which of you, by worrying, could add anything to your life? Anyone tried it? I tried it when I was younger. I thought, add something. I could add an inch or two to my life because I'm really vertically challenged at five foot half an inch and even less now that I'm getting older. 
And I really worried about being the size. And I took this passage and just thought, well, actually, you know, I've tried to grow and I haven't. And I've worried about being so small, but actually, it's pointless. Because I'm not going to change. I'm not going to grow any more than five foot, half an inch. So how then do we stop giving in to anxiety and worry? I have come up with some kingdom promises and some kingdom principles around dealing with anxiety and living kingdom life. We're going to look at the promises first. Promise number one is provision. Jesus says in verse 25, all that you need will be provided, such as food, water, clothing, everything your body needs. But isn't there more to your life than a meal? Isn't your body more than clothing? So Jesus is saying here really clearly, your needs for surviving here on earth will be met. I'll provide those for you. And you know what? When life is tough, and we all go through tough times, we're kind of settling for that baseline of survival living, where we're just grateful that our basic needs are met and we get through the day. But Jesus here is saying, don't settle for that. Not just having your basic needs met, because actually he's saying, our lives are more than that. There is a higher level of living for each one of us than just getting by, going beyond keeping our bodies functioning. There's a higher level of living around loving and belonging and achieving, all of that stuff. And not surprisingly, a psychologist kind of put it into words a few years ago called Maslow. He devised this hierarchy of human need. And the first line of human need which needs to be met is around the basic stuff. Eating, clothing, shelter. But he talks about higher level of living, just like Jesus does here. That kingdom living that Jesus is saying here is moving from survival to living in levels of success and significance. Where we understand that we have purpose and our lives matter in our world. But we know Jesus' promise to us because Paul reiterates it in Philippians 4.19. He says, you can be sure, it is certain, that God will take care of everything you need. The Amplified Version puts it like this. My God will liberally supply, which is fill until full, your every need according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. He meets our every need. Not just that just enough survival need that we all have, but he meets every need that we have that fulfills our purpose that he has given to us specifically. And do you know what? He uses his measuring stick in giving it to us. His measuring stick, in his words, is liberal and abundance. And it comes from his rich supply. 
not what we've got in the bank, not what we own, not whether we deserve it. He has just promised this to us. He is an incredible God, is he not? So that's about provision. And then we have promise number two is about price. Jesus in verse 26 in Matthew, he says, look at all the birds. Do you think they worry about their existence? They don't plant or reap or store up food. Yet your heavenly Father provides them each with food. And listen to this. Aren't you much more valuable to your Father than they? Do you know what? In the midst of our worrying, we often forget our worth. Did you hear that? Some need to hear that specifically today. In the midst of worrying, when we get so caught up in it, we forget our worth. We forget how valuable we are to God, our Father, how much he cares about us, and therefore cares for us. Jesus says it again in Luke 12, 6 and 7. What is the value of your soul to God? God doesn't abandon or forget even the small sparrow he has made. How then could he forget or abandon you? What about the seemingly minor issues of your life? Do they matter to God? Of course they do. So you need never to worry, for you are more valuable to God than anything else in the world. I think that deserves a round of applause. Not for me, but for who our God is and how valuable we are to him. You see, we read in Psalm 139, the psalmist talks about how God carefully and skillfully shapes and forms us before we are born. The very number of hairs on our head, he knows. And what a great price he paid to redeem us, to buy us back to himself so that we could be in relationship with him through his incredible salvation plan. Stands to reason then, doesn't it, that he's going to take care of what he places such enormous value on. So don't worry. It's not necessary. Promise number three is about protection and purpose. And in Matthew 6, 28, Jesus says, why would you worry about clothing? Now then, anyone worried before you came to church this morning about what you were going to wear? How many outfits did you have lined up to make you look your best? You know what I mean by that? I had two lined up, just like everyone else. Jesus says, look at all the beautiful flowers of the field. They don't work or toil. And yet not even Solomon, who was the wisest, richest man ever lived, not even him in all of his splendor was robed in beauty more than one of these. So if God has clothed the meadow with hay, which is here for such a short time and then dried up and burned, won't he provide for you the clothes that you need? 
Why clothes? Is it just to reassure the fashion conscious amongst us that you will actually be able to have the most fashionable clothes in every season of your life? I don't think so. But I've come up with two reasons why Jesus talks about clothes. And the first one is around the promise of protection. Because clothes are our covering. We need clothes to keep us safe and protect us from the environment in all seasons of life. Who has a winter and a summer wardrobe? Oh, me too, Wendy. I have one. And it came out very late this year, my summer one, and I hope it doesn't go back in too early is all I can say. But we wear different clothes, don't we, for different seasons of life. In the summer, we wear light clothing, maybe hats, to protect us. In the winter, we wear our overcoats and our woolly hats and our boots to protect us from the elements. Clothes are protection. And you know what? God has promised to clothe us in every season of our life, whatever terrain we're walking through, whether it's in the thick of battle or we're basking in sunshine, because life is like that. We all go through those seasons. And in the thick of battle, he'll give us clothing that will protect us from all that is thrown at us to keep us safe. And in the summer, when we're walking by those streams, like it says in Psalm 23, he clothes us with appropriate clothing so that we can get the best out of that season and the environment we're walking through. He promises to protect us. And then we have a promise of purpose. I see this in the clothing. But Jesus is talking about the flowers in the field. He says, despite their beauty, they are at the mercy of the elements, just like us, and then they're gone. He talks about the lifespan of hay in the meadow. And how do we not know that the lifespan of hay in the meadow is absolutely minuscule and fleeting, and then it's disposed of? The purpose of flowers, etc., is very limited. But when it comes to us, when it comes to humankind, humanity, we are different to all other aspects of God's creation because God created us in his image, reflecting his nature with a spirit in us that never dies. And in Ecclesiastes 3, I read these words that God has made everything beautiful and appropriate in its time. He has also planted eternity. Eternity, a sense of divine purpose in the human heart. This mysterious longing which nothing under the sun can satisfy except God. Eternity, guys, lies in us. It outlasts our lifespan, our birth to death and everything in between. We live on. So God's investment into us compared with other created beings is so much more. Because our lives are full of the potential of God's purpose. We can leave not just a memory, 
for their lasting legacy. And do you know what? As we open our lives to him and allow his Holy Spirit to come and live, I mean, really live, have the roaming of the house that we are. We then are embracing kingdom living and that sense of divine purpose is realized. And we can outwork God's plans in our lives every single day, regardless of our circumstances. And the promise to clothe us is to equip us to do that, to put on us what is required to fulfill his unique promise and purpose to us. He has given every single one of us unique skills and giftings as well as imbibed into us his power and authority. Because of that, there's no room for anxiety because we're full of the spirit of God that he has put within us. So there we have the kingdom promises. Provision, price, protection, and purpose. And living in his promises eliminates anxiety. But he doesn't just leave it there because he gives us some principles or instructions for us to follow that will help us to live out all of these promises. And the first one is this. It's really simple. I'm so glad that God's message to us is simple because I'm a simple person and, and I can understand it. But the first one is this. Trust God. Verse 30, Jesus says, Won't he, God, fulfill his promises even though you live with such little faith? This issue of faith, I don't know about you, but at times my faith fails me. And when I read my Bible, the heroes of faith in the Bible, at times, their faith has failed them too. We are faithless at times. But what I love is that his promises are not dependent on our faith. His promises stand regardless of our faith. But you know what having no faith does? It allows unnecessary worry to seep in. So the best way to live out these promises, this kingdom living, is to live faith-filled. Jesus says really simply on another occasion in Mark eleven twenty two, have faith in God. Trust God with everything, in everything, and for everything. Jesus puts it like this, embrace this God life, really embrace it. And nothing, nothing will be too much for you. We can trust God with our lives. He is totally, absolutely trustworthy. I love the wise words in Proverbs 3, 5. Trust God from the bottom of your heart. But wait a minute. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. But listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go, because he's the one 
Who will keep you on track? This kingdom track. Trust God. And the little key in there is, how many times do we do it? Try to figure out all this stuff on our own. Try to look ahead and work it out. And if I do this and if I do that, I think it might be all right. Jesus is saying, trust God. Don't try to figure it out. He is faithful and he will keep you on track. Principle number two. We have a heavenly father. We've sang it this morning. Anita brought us a word about that. We are children of God. We have a heavenly father. Jesus puts it like this in verse 31 and 32. He says, forsake your worries. Now, forsake's a bit of an old-fashioned word, isn't it? Forsake. We don't go around talking like that these days. What it really means is quit worrying. Leave off. Stop it. Do you understand that? I understand that. Jesus goes on to say, why would you say, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear? For this is what the unbelievers chase after. Doesn't your heavenly father already know the things that your bodies require? And sometimes we behave like we don't have a heavenly father when we choose the route of worrying. He wants us to behave like his trusting children. And a a few years ago, I, about 10 years ago, I was in work and I went through a really stressful time and I developed anxiety as a result of this. It went on for months. A colleague of mine was really nasty and had an axe to grind and I was the target and I, she was bullying me and it made me feel over the course of time really vulnerable and really wobbly in all aspects of my life but particularly when I was in the workplace and I saw her and my tummy just turned over and I wasn't sleeping and I lost weight, didn't want to eat. And on this one particular occasion, I went to church and still ministered in church. And we had a couple who were leaving us. And Ian said, right, come on, they're leaving. We want to pray God's blessing on them. So I want you guys to come out and pray. Not just the leadership team, but if you feel part of this, you know, come and pray for them. So I thought, oh, I really don't feel like doing any of this because I'm feeling really wobbly. But I went out and I've got my hands over them and my other hand is down by my side and And as I'm there, my eyes are closed, I felt someone take hold of my hand. Never happened before, never since. And I turned around and looked at who it was, and I was shocked, surprised, overwhelmed. It was my dad. He's never done that before or since. And if anyone knows my dad, I've got the best dad ever. And he's not an upfront person. He serves God by painting and decorating and maintenance and washing up. I don't know what we'd do without him, because I'd have to do that. But he's not an upfront person, but on this occasion, he came and he held my hand. And I looked at him. And in that moment, I was a little girl again, because that is exactly how I felt, so vulnerable. But I was a little girl, and I remembered that when I was upset, 
distressed, things weren't working out for me, my dad would come along and he would just hold my hand and I'd look up at him and everything would be all right. I knew that because I trusted my dad. And I felt that in that moment there in church. And then I also felt the Spirit of God say to me, I am your heavenly father. I'm holding your hand. I know what you're going through. I know what it's like. But it's going to be all right. And in that moment, the anxiety and the worry was totally displaced. And the peace that we know no one can understand came in its place. Because I had my dad, my heavenly father, holding my hand. 1 Peter 5, 7, Peter says to the church, he says, pour out all your worries and stress upon him, your father, and leave them there. Live carefree before God. He is most careful with you. Why? Because he's our father. And we are absolutely the best thing in the world to him. And kingdom living is knowing that, believing that, and experiencing that the Heavenly Father is with us always. Amen? I'm glad you've got that one. Principle number three is found in verse 33. It's prioritize God's kingdom. I got there eventually. It's about prioritizing this passage. Jesus says, above all, constantly, Chase after the realm of God's kingdom and the righteousness that proceeds from him. And then all of these less important things will be given to you abundantly. Priority, where is it? What's our focus? Where's our heart? Is it in heaven or on earth? Are we pursuing the realm of God's kingdom even now here on earth? Or do we just get caught up in the here and now and the trouble of today? Are we forgetting or neglecting that eternal perspective of our lives? Paul writes to the church in Colossae, in Colossians 3.2, he says this really clearly, set your mind and keep focused on the things above, the heavenly things, not on things that are on the earth which only have temporal value. So let's live looking not inwards, being self-absorbed, but upwards. Looking at God's plans and God's purposes in the vastness of his kingdom and not our tiny, small, restricted world. Prioritize God's kingdom. And then finally, if Alex, you want to, Come. Principle number four is really dead simple. One day at a time. I'm waiting for Alex to burst into song at this moment. <laughs> no, 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 no. You've heard enough. Verse 34, Jesus says, Refuse to worry about tomorrow, but deal with each challenge that comes your way one day at a time. Because tomorrow will take care 
of itself. And right at the very beginning when I spoke about anxiety, the whole thing about anxiety is about looking into the future and worrying about it. Jesus is saying, don't. Live one day at a time. Don't look too far ahead. Don't run away with yourselves. Rein yourselves in. Come on. Because actually the truth is we only have the moment that we're in. So there's no point worrying about what may or may not happen. Because he's got tomorrow. And I love the foundational truth that we find in Romans 12, where Paul tells us to take our everyday, ordinary life, the sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. And do you know what's really good to do? When you wake up in the morning, do that. Whatever the day holds, whether you know what it is, whatever challenges you think might be there, God's promise to us is this. Corinthians 12, 9, he says, My grace is always more than enough for you. And my power finds its full expression through your weakness. In summary then, Matthew 6, 33. Jesus says, above all, seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. And all of these less important things will be given to you abundantly. It's an incredible kingdom life that we have been called to live. There is no anxiety, no worry, because everything we need will be provided. And I have just come across this little prayer of King David when he was at a real low time in his life, worrying probably about the future, sorry about the past. And I just want to read this prayer over us today. And it's Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. And I'm saying this to me. God, I invite your searching gaze into my heart. Examine me through and through. Find out everything that may be hidden within me. Put me to the test and sift me through all my anxious cares. See if there is any path of pain I'm walking on and lead me back to your glorious, everlasting ways, the path that brings me back to you. And you know, when we live in anxiety, when we allow it to seep into our lives, it's walking a path of pain. But you know, we can switch paths, just like the psalmist has said here. God, sift through all my anxious cares and lead me back to the path that's full of love. When we choose kingdom living, we're walking on the kingdom highway. And we can embrace those promises of Jesus around provision and the price and our value and worth around protection and purpose. But we do have to apply his principles. 
when we trust God, knowing always that our Heavenly Father is holding our hand, where we prioritize God's kingdom above everything and everyone else, and we live this amazing life just one day at a time. When we walk on that kingdom path, that kingdom highway, we live lives full of hope and peace and joy, life everlasting. I just want to take a moment for us just to maybe pray that prayer together. Close your eyes. I'm going to read it again. If this is you, you've got some anxiety or worry that's just really dominating and impacting your life. I'm just going to, while everyone's eyes are closed, just ask you to stand to your feet. And after I've read this prayer again, we're going to say amen together. You up for that? Okay. Give you a moment. God, I invite your searching gaze into my heart. Examine me through and through. Find out everything that might be hidden within me. Put me to the test and sift through all my anxious cares. See if there is any path of pain that I'm walking on. And please, lead me back to your glorious everlasting kingdom ways, the path that brings me back to you, the path of life and hope and peace. Amen. Amen. Bless you, every single one of you. You have been great. And I just want every single one of us to embrace this kingdom living because there's nothing like it. Amen? Amen.